Well, good morning again, Uh, and as always, it is a privilege and a joy to be able to proclaim God's Word to you this morning and every morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2? We're going to be in verses 18 to 25 today. The text is also printed in your bulletin if you do not have a Bible with you. The last couple of weeks, we've been in this section of Peter's letter where he's focusing on how we are to live as Christians in a hostile society. He began the letter focusing on this rock-solid hope that we have in Christ, our inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. And then he turned to show us the church, our new community, the spiritual building that God is building up for His own glory. Now we're in the section of the letter where Peter leans into the fact that we are exiles in this world. We are called to live among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers of the world, but we're called to do so in an honorable way and with the hope that God will use us to proclaim His excellencies, both in our words and by the way that we live Last week, we saw that we are to be subject to or submit to every human institution. And Peter focused primarily on the civil government. This week, he moves on to address a specific kind of person, a Christian slave. And so Peter, in some ways, says the same thing that he said last week, simply applied to a specific scenario. But in other ways, in this section, he brings together two important themes through this letter. Living as exiles in this society and enduring suffering because of that. And then ultimately, he points to the example of Jesus in all that we are called to do. So before we hear God's word today, let's ask that he would help us to both understand it and believe it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read Your Holy Word, I ask that You would give us Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know Your Son, Jesus Christ, better. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we might hear Your Word and believe it. Overcome our stubborn hearts and show us Your path of life. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the Word of the Lord. This morning as we walk through this text, we're going to see three things primarily. First, we're going to look at these terms that are used, slaves and masters, or servants and masters. And we're going to talk a little bit about who Peter is addressing. Secondly, we're going to look at this call, that we are called to suffer unjustly. And then third and finally, we're going to see how Peter points us to Jesus. The very first word of this passage is servant, or in many translations, slave. The Greek word is oiketai. Oiketai, excuse me. It's not my first language. Uh, Oiketai, which is a little different than the word doulos, which is what Peter used last week in verse 16 when he said that we must live as servants or slaves of God. And if you say, well, which is it? Servant or slave? The answer is really neither. The problem isn't with the words that Peter uses. The problem is the way that we hear those English words. When we hear slave, we immediately think of chattel slavery in America in the 16, 17, and 1800s. And when we hear the word servant, many of us now probably picture the downstairs group in the show Downton Abbey. When Peter uses these words, he doesn't mean either one of those things. So in order for us to understand who Peter is talking about, we need to know what slavery was like in the Roman Empire in the first century. Roman slavery wasn't race-based like American slavery was. Slaves didn't look, talk, or dress in one distinct way. About a quarter of the Roman population was in slavery, and people became slaves in various ways, either because they were conquered in war, or because they were impoverished and became indentured servants, or because they were born to enslaved parents. Slavery in that time and place was more fluid or movable than it was in America. Slaves had several paths to freedom available to them, though generational slavery was still very common. Slaves in the Roman Empire could be well-educated. A slave could be a doctor or a teacher, a shipbuilder, or even a city treasurer. But that was an exception. Most slaves were either household slaves or field slaves, subject to hard manual labor. What all slaves had in common, regardless of the position they were in or the way that they became slaves, was that they were powerless. Aristotle's view of slaves wasn't the only view, but it looks like it was the most common one. He believed slaves were inferior by nature, and that it wasn't possible to mistreat a slave because they were merely property, not people. Roman slaves had virtually no rights. They legally belonged to their master and mistress and were often used and abused by them. They were made to do hard manual labor, and the quality of their lives was largely dependent on the status and the character of their master 
or mistress. In verse 18, Peter speaks directly to these slaves. This was different than most writings at the time. Most writings would speak to slaves and teach them through their master. Peter directly addresses them as full members of God's covenant community. Like last week, he's speaking to someone who is under authority. But now he's moved from the civil realm to the economic realm. And like last week, we have some overlap and some difference with this. Like last week, we don't live under a king or an emperor. We live in a democracy with democratically elected officials. But we do live under civil authority. In a similar way, we do not live in a society where slavery is normal or legal. And we ought to give praise to God for that. It has not always been that way. But most of us still work under some sort of authority. We have teachers, bosses, and supervisors who have authority to tell us what to do and even to dole out punishment and penalties when they see fit. We do have labor laws and workplace regulations that protect us, but most of us would still say that the quality of our life at work is still very dependent on the character of our bosses, our teachers, and our superiors. Now, with that understanding of whom Peter is speaking to and how that fits in our lives, let's hear Peter's words again about how we are to live under that authority. He says, Servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. We see in this command the two same elements that Peter commanded last week as we live under civil authority. He says, be subject to or submit to. And remember last week we talked about the fact that submission means to arrange one's life under the authority or guidance of another. It's not quite as hard as a command to obey. It's not as stark as that, but it does mean that we are to put ourselves under their authority. You are called to submit to those whom God has placed in authority over you. The second element of Peter's command is an attitude. He says, be subject with all respect. This means that constant complaining, gossiping about your boss behind his or her back, and even quiet disdain and hatred of them isn't okay. Again, you don't have to like them or even agree with them, but God commands that you respect them. So far, most of us are with Peter. Our consciences tell us that we're being bad employees when we join in mockery of our boss with our other coworkers. We know that we're doing something wrong when they give us a task and we pretend we'll do it, but we don't. We may not always obey, but we understand these commands, generally speaking. Then we read what Peter says next that we are called to do these things 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Christian, you are called to submit to and respect your bosses and teachers and superiors, not just when they are worthy of that respect, but even when they are unjust and when they mistreat you. You are called to endure. Most of us cannot imagine doing this. One reason for that is pretty simple, and it comes from our difference with the audience that Peter was initially writing to. If your boss hit you, you would most likely press charges, or at the very least, you would quit and find another job. If you had a teacher who was verbally berating you day in and day out, your parents would likely talk to the principal about it, and if that didn't work, you would switch schools. We live in a society where most of us have the freedom to step out of a difficult situation and into another one. We also live in a society that has checks on authority and that cares for the rights of those who are not in positions of power in a different way than Peter's society did. We ought to rejoice that many of us have the ability to get out of those awful situations. It's not somehow less Christian to get out from under wicked authority. Paul says to slaves in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. If you are sitting under wickedness that you can get away from, you are free as a Christian to do so. However, we shouldn't be too quick to dismiss the relevance of Peter's command in our own day and age. Our ability to get out of these situations is largely dependent on what income bracket we are in. If your boss constantly mistreats you, and you have a college degree, and a set of skills that look nice on a resume, you can likely find a different job. But if you work for a low hourly wage, or you don't have many marketable skills, or there's something that makes it hard for you to get a job, like a criminal record, or bad references, you're likely stuck in that job, regardless of how you're treated. You don't have the same freedom to move on if you're being mistreated. The same can be true in schools. If you have both parents at home, and they're both attentive to you, if your school isn't the kind of school that has major problems all the time, a teacher targeting you and mistreating you will probably be dealt with. But even in this city, and in this country, and especially in some other parts of the world, those things are not a given. You may not be able to change your circumstances. In those instances, we realize we are not as far from Peter's context as we might like to think. 
Another thing we see here is that God's command to endure suffering also says some specific things about the relationship between sin and suffering. After saying that it's a gracious thing when we suffer unjustly, Peter feels the need to give a qualifier. He gives us some clarity. In verse 20, he says that he isn't talking about times where you suffer for things you did that are wrong. He doesn't mean that you were a lazy worker and your boss fired you. Or that you were cutting up in class and your teacher embarrassed you in front of your friends. We have a tendency to do this, to think that we're being persecuted for our faith when really we're just being bad employees or bad students. Peter is not talking about that. In Peter's terms, that would be just suffering. He's specifically talking about times where you are doing good. This is what we talked about the past two weeks. You're living according to God's law. You're working hard. You're being salt and light to the world around you. And that is the cause of your suffering. It may be mockery because you won't join in with your friends in gossip or in partying. It may be a friend who can't believe you would stay in that awful marriage and they begin to resent you because of it. It may be someone at work who thinks your Christian views on sexuality are abhorrent and they make sure that everyone else knows about it. Whatever it is, Peter says, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God when you endure that kind of suffering. Suffering because you are saying no to sin. Now the mention of that word endure brings up a different relationship with suffering and sin. Peter doesn't just talk about whether sin is the cause of our suffering. He also talks about it as a response to our suffering. He gets at this a bit more when he looks at the example of Jesus and how he suffered. He says this in verse 23, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter says that sin should not be the cause of our suffering, but he also says that sin should not be our response to our suffering. He knows what the temptation is for every Christian. When someone hurts you, your sinful nature tells you to hurt them back. To give like for like. I see this with my boys all the time. If one hits the other, the other hits him back. It's a natural response for us. If you mock me, I'll get you back by mocking you. And what we all know is that this retaliation gives us a little bit of relief. If our pride is hurt when someone hurts us, hurting them back makes us feel like we're even. If someone is picking and picking and picking at us, the temptation builds to do something to them to stop their picking at us. Sinful retaliation, in a way, promises alleviation to our suffering. If I just get them back or even threaten, they'll stop. And God tells us in this passage that what is gracious in His sight is when we suffer and do not give in to that temptation. We do not retaliate. Instead, we endure. 
We choose suffering instead of choosing sin. That's the choice Peter sets up for us when we suffer. We can either sin to alleviate the suffering, or we can endure and let the suffering continue. What God tells us in this passage is that it is better to suffer than to sin. It is gracious in His sight to continue enduring suffering instead of sinning to alleviate it. And the way we know this is better, that it is better to suffer than to sin, is because God points us to Jesus, who did this. Read verses 21 through 25 with me. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus endured suffering. We know that Jesus never sinned. So sin was not the cause of his suffering. His suffering was not just. He wasn't receiving a legitimate punishment. But Jesus also determined that he would endure his suffering. That he would let it continue. Instead of trying to alleviate that suffering by sinning. And this is what Peter points to. He's making, at this point, we see that he's making a much bigger point than just speaking to a specific kind of person. He's making a point about the Christian life. How do we know that? Because Jesus wasn't a slave. Peter uses Jesus as the prime example for how Christian slaves ought to act, and Jesus wasn't a slave. He was poor. We know that. He makes references several times to the fact that he was homeless. It's likely that Jesus lost his father early in his life. But Jesus was likely a a carpenter. And then later he became a rabbi. He was not a literal slave. And so why does Peter bring him up as the primary example for how Christian slaves ought to act? It's because Jesus chose to live like a slave. In Mark 10, the disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus chose to live the life of a servant, of a slave. We see this even more explicitly in Philippians 2. It says that Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a doulos, a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Last week we read in 1 Peter 2.16 that you are to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. This is true freedom. Sacrificing your liberty. Laying down your rights for the good of others. The Son of God has been perfectly free from all eternity. He was dependent on no one and nothing for His life. He lived in perfect happiness and pleasure, perfect fellowship with God the Father and God the Spirit. You cannot get a higher position in terms of freedom and authority than that. And what did he do with it? What did he do with his freedom and with his power? Philippians 2 says that he set it aside. He didn't cling to it. Instead, he chose to make himself like a servant, like a slave, someone with no rights and no power. And he chose that again and again and again throughout his life. Peter says that when others sinned against him, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And about Jesus, Peter says in verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. You are not a slave. No one in this room is in the position that Roman slaves would have been in when this letter was first read. You may not even be stuck in difficult situations that you can't get out of. You probably have plenty of upward mobility and freedom. God has called you to use that freedom for the good of others. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as slaves of God. Where is God calling you to willingly endure suffering, endure loss for the sake of others? In 1 Peter 2:12, we saw that our lives among the Gentiles are lived with the hope that they might glorify God on the day of visitation. Those people who call you an evil doer, who mock you and slander you and mistreat you, you are to hope that they will turn and trust in Jesus. You are to live for that. Are you being called to endure suffering so that you might be a light to them? As I mentioned already, this past Thursday was St. Patrick's Day. Patrick is known as being the patron saint of Ireland. Did you know Patrick was not Irish? He was English. Patrick was born in Britain in the 4th century. When he was 16, a band of Irish pirates came to Britain and captured him at his family's home. They took him as a slave to Ireland. He worked for six years as a shepherd, as a slave. And during his time as a shepherd out in the field, he prayed to God and in time became a Christian. Eventually, Patrick escaped. He found his way to a boat and came across to England and after a while made, it, made his way back home 
back to freedom. Once home, he began studying Christianity more deeply. And after several years of this, he had a vision. It was of the Irish, calling him back to come live with them. And so he did, as a missionary of the gospel, bringing the gospel to the Irish. Ireland at the time was a deeply pagan nation, heavily influenced by the Druids. Patrick stayed there for 30 years, suffering much oppression and hardship, but preaching the gospel of Jesus to the Irish. Patrick was free, but he used his freedom not for his own good, but to love the very people who had caused his suffering. Where are you being called to endure suffering so that others might know Jesus? Peter points to Jesus as the prime example in the Christian life. We are to follow in His footsteps. We are to look to Him who endured suffering and said no to sin. The way that Jesus did that was by entrusting Himself to the Father. There's an important play here on that word just. When people around you are unjust, like Peter says in verse 18, especially when it's people in authority, the way that you can endure is by remembering that the judge of all the earth is just. He is perfectly just. Injustice will not win in the end. Justice will. But that brings us to the second point that Peter makes about Jesus. Jesus is not merely our example for the Christian life. He's not just an illustration to show us how to live. He's also the only power and the only hope that we have to live like that. Jesus' suffering is unique. It's what theologians call vicarious suffering. That means that He suffered for you. He suffered in your place, on your behalf, Look what Peter says in verses 24 to 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. These verses explicitly point back to Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and 53. He points out that when Jesus suffered for sins, they weren't His sins. He bore our sins in His body on the cross. He bore our punishment in His suffering. And by His wounds, you have been healed. This is the engine behind the entire Christian life. If you try to be holy, if you try to be good, If you try to love others without this, you will reach empty like that. You are forgiven. You are healed. Too many times our good works in this world are really a covert way to try to overcome all our sins and mistakes of the past. They're a way to try to persuade God to like us and approve of us. That is not the Christian message. There is nothing you can do to atone for your sins. Jesus has done that. You can only be made right with God by trusting in what Jesus has done, 
not working for your own salvation. But notice that for Peter, that is not the end of the story. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus has not given you freedom from your sin as an end in itself. He has given you freedom from your sin so that you might live a life of righteousness, loving others and pointing them to the forgiveness that is only found in Jesus. This is true freedom. Not freedom from all constraints, but freedom to live and love as God always intended you to, even if it means suffering. To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Would you all pray with me? Father, we admit that the path of righteousness seems hard to us. We pray that you would let us see that it is the path of life and that sin is the path of death. Lord, give us joy in following your call. I pray that you would empower us to love you and love others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.